one of the biggest surprises of the experience has been the level of intimacy when you so deeply share your loss and your emotions. I think it really does kind of tear down any walls or any mask you might you might be wearing at the time, and it really allows you to get really real relatively quickly. I was. I was kind of excited for our first dinner party. Not in a, you know, it's a weird thing to say. Oh, I was excited to talk about my mom dying. But I remember a, but a couple of people at that first one, they were saying how they almost didn't come. They were so nervous. I think maybe one person didn't come. And I was like, I'm ready. Let's start, let's start talking. <laughs> I have a lot to say. There are times in every life when things get real. Losing one's parent at any age is a profound loss and it can be especially disorienting when one is a young adult in the process of getting launched in life. Roger Freeman and Alexandra Dekas are members of The Dinner Party, a national community of mostly 20 and 30-somethings who've experienced significant loss. Our conversation explores how connecting intimately with strangers who have similarly experienced loss has allowed each of them to address their feelings of isolation and learn how to live with and speak about their profound loss. They also talk about the role of humor at dinner party tables, how they each seek joy in their lives, and the confounding issue of helping men who have been trained to hide any weakness to show up and feel safe. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real. Before we begin, I'd like each of you to introduce yourself and to tell us something important that we should know about you. So my name is Roger, and I live in Los Angeles. I'm approaching 30, I guess I consider a young adult, and are, I guess, what they call millennials. I guess I would take that badge. And I work as a freelance chief operation officer, or COO for short, and what that means is I assist founders and CEOs and startups with getting their operations off the ground and defining culture and scaling from there in terms of new hires, new ideas, um, creating some systems and processes in place. Um, There's an expression that also gets passed around the startup world a little too much, and it goes, building an airplane before it takes off the runway. And I feel like I'm the regional airport around here because I have so many different tarmacs and so many different planes taking off that I'm helping uh, launch. And um, it's exciting, thrilling, stressing, and uh, taxing. (laughs) But um, I wouldn't trade it. It's kind of my passion. Yeah. Okay, so you're flying several aircraft while building them. (laughs) Several aircrafts while building them, while making sure that they get off into the air yeah excellent okay well you're you're a good guy to know obviously (laughs) and Alex what Um, about you my name is Alex I'm also live in Los Angeles Uh, I'm from Massachusetts I moved out here eight years ago I'm a TV writer I went to school for I went to film school now it's finally happening all right (laughs) living the dream huh very exciting (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic congratulations Um, thank you yeah I uh I was an assistant for a long time and then I have a writing partner so we um go from show to show together and last year 
was our first show and now we're on our second show and it's very exciting. Congratulations. Excellent. So you're both members of a group called The Dinner Party, which is a community of mostly 20 and 30 somethings who've each experienced significant loss. How did the two of you meet? I'll jump in. So we met when we initially filled out an application to get plugged in. I had heard about the dinner party through my sister who attended a table in Nashville, Tennessee, where she goes to school. And uh, we had just experienced the loss of my father kind of not not too far in the past. And so we were looking for a way to process, dive in, and, and talk about our loss. And having my family be based on the East Coast, a lot of the people that I've formed relationships, whether it was in the workplace or friends or family, out here didn't, didn't really know my dad. So it was a kind of conversation that they were always kind of taking a back seat and not a conversation or a ride that, I, that I, a lot of them wanted to, to join in on. So I was really looking for support with other people who had gone through similar circumstances and I kind of didn't even know where to start so luckily my sister kind of clued me in about this great organization called the dinner party where conversations that needed to happen could happen and it was space to do so so she told me about it and I um, got plugged in with the organization and you kind of fill out a little questionnaire of what you're looking for from the experience and at that point, I was just an open book. I was, again, back from L.A. from having gone through the process of losing a father and, 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 and kind of figuring out what's next, what kind of page do I turn. And with that, with that loss kind of being fresh, I just wanted to, to speak. I just wanted to talk about my loss, and I wanted to my loss to be understood. Um, it's very kind of a weird disorienting situation when you fly back 3,000 miles from wherever you're from you jump back into work and you're like if I didn't say anything I don't think anyone around me would really know and it was a weird kind of wearing that mask of pretending normalcy you know so much of us pretend that we're normal quote unquote but um, there was a whole other layer of like I can't pretend I can't shove this under the rug or I can't kind of dive into my work day without kind of processing things. So anyways, I filled out an application on the website and they immediately got back to me and they said, uh, oh, great, you're a guy. Because <laughs> there's kind of a, an unbalanced ratio, which we can get into of, of guys to girls. And mm. so they're like, would you want to host? And and I, the idea of a dinner party in itself was so foreign to me. I, I, I was living a bachelor life and I was like, I don't even have five of the same wine glasses. How am I going to host anything at my house? I don't, <laughs> I'd have to really, really think about this. But they're like, no, 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 I think you'd, you'd be great. If you have space to have, you know, eight or eight or eight plus people in your home, why don't you go for it? Mm. So I said, okay. So you didn't get to attend one before you I did not get there was no trial run of a a dinner party or B in this specific of a dinner party, so I just kind of winged it. And I um (laughs) I got some some extra silverware and some plates that I didn't have and I bought some flowers. Really nice flowers. Really nice flowers (laughs) um, from down the street. (laughs) And I was like, let's do this. Let's let's do this. I had no idea what to expect. And I think it kind of helped me because I wasn't going into a stranger's home at that point. It was I was opening up my own. Mm -hmm. So as much as it was uncharted territory for me, Mm. I uh, 
I felt like, man, I have nowhere to run. It's my house. So all I can do is open the door and people show up. And and so they, through the organization, they plug you in with a roster of people who are jumping in at the same point, who have just experienced loss or have experienced loss in the path and, and just kind of want to connect and, and dialogue about that. And then um, you're given names and you reach out to them and you set a date and you say, okay, we all don't know each other from many times different walks of life, but let's, uh, let's dive deep and really quickly. And there comes a lot of apprehension with that of like, how am I going to get so deep so quick? Or how am I going to expose myself to mm-hmm. strangers? strangers. Yeah. I only know their name and their email address and a few emails sh- shot back and forth. How am I going to do this? And I think one of the biggest surprises of the experience has been the level of intimacy when you so deeply share your loss and your emotions, I think it really does kind of tear down any walls or any mask you might you might be wearing at the time. And it really allows you to get really real relatively quickly. So through the experience, I've kind of learned to, to care less, be an open book, and um, to share my story and at least what I've been going through, because at least in the digital age with all the online chatter and edited versions, this was a, a real in-person conversation that I kind of couldn't edit. Yeah. If things came about or if I touched on something that I didn't even realize that was bothering me or was part of my own grieving process, I didn't really have the do-over button or the re-edit or let me take a different image or tweak the little verbiage I put on that post. I kind of had to own it. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was such a beautiful process for me. Yeah. Alex, uh, tell us about how you were introduced uh, to Roger and to the dinner party. I was actually, I had never heard of the dinner party. My cousin told me like the day of my mom's funeral she approached me and she said you know I don't know if this is the right time but I I just want to put this out into the universe that this exists her college best friend is a girl uh Lennon Flowers who's one of the co-founders of the dinner party and so she was like my friend has started this organization it's really taking off I think at that point when she told me about it it had recently been featured on NPR and it was like really blowing up there were wait lists and things like that okay and I was so interested from the second she said it I had um I'd been in Massachusetts for four months taking care of my mom I'd been like you know 16 hour days sitting in a hospital room doing this going home being sad talking to people not really talking about it's hard you know talking to family members and friends or all have a different perspective and and your family members are going through it with you your friends have never gone through it there's a lot of different like conversations that are being had I guess is the way to put it and so the idea of just getting to go and sit with a bunch of people who have all been through the same thing like was very interesting to me so I came home I signed up for it. I was on the waitlist for like I think it was maybe six months before I got placed into Roger's group and I hadn't forgotten about it, but when they when I got the email that there was a group for me, I was I I, I guess I had forgotten a li- about it a little bit. And I was really looking. I really needed to just <laughs> talk to some people my age who had been going through it. Mm. I was I was kind of excited for our first dinner party. Not in a you know it's a weird thing to say. Oh, I was excited to talk about my mom dying, but 
I remember a, but a couple of people at that first one, they were saying how they almost didn't come. They were so nervous. I think maybe one person didn't come and I was like, I'm ready. Let's start, let's start talking. <laughs> I have a lot to say. And it was, it was really great. It was, it was a big dinner party. I remember everybody was so kind and, and it took, it, it takes seconds before people launch into the most personal shit you've mm. ever said. It's, it's crazy. It's like, it happens so fast and it's, and it's never weird. And I think, um, it's hard to talk to, so you don't know how to talk to somebody who's grieving. I, I still wouldn't, if, if somebody, if a friend's parent passed away tomorrow, I wouldn't have the magic thing to say. Like sure. nobody does. And especially, um, when it's really, when it's really never happened to you, it's really hard. And just little things like people asking you, how are you feeling today? Or how did your mom die? Or how old was she? Or all this. It's hard for some people. And it's, that's one of the nicest things. Like you can walk in and you can meet somebody and you can, you can kind of ask them really frank questions and they're not going to be offended by it because they want to talk about it also. And if they don't want to talk about it, then you sense that (laughs) and shut up. (laughs) Just be quiet. My biggest uh, memory from that first dinner party was, because again, it it had been about six months and I had been, it was it was while we were just sitting there we were eating and someone said something about oh how we were talking about how do you tell your coworkers how do you tell new people that you met and i had this crazy realization that i had yet i had not in those 6 months told somebody new uh-huh. who i had met that like i had lost a parent right um and that was a really weird feeling i was like oh that's so strange you would think that would have come up many times have i been avoiding it has it just like really not come up and i remember gauging like every two or three dinner parties after that I'm, someone was like, have, "Have you? Has it happened yet?" And I said, "No, it hasn't." Now I think I'm just actively <laughs> avoiding it. <laughs> it's, it's like losing your virginity. Or something. Like, yeah. Has it happened yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's equally uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> um, so I don't know, but I think also it sounds silly, but like practicing talking about it at once a month at a dinner party makes it so much easier than to talk about it with your family and your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend ask me recently, I was telling him maybe it was one or two dinner parties ago that I was hosting one. And he asked me, he was like, it's, it's my best friend on the planet. And he said, do you ever say anything to them that you would never tell that you've never told me or you would never tell me? It was a really interesting question. Mm, and yeah. I, I thought about it for a second. And I, I said, there's, and I mean this, like there's nothing I say in a dinner party that I wouldn't tell you, but most of the stuff I just don't tell you. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't want to bring it up. It's, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to make me uncomfortable. I don't want to, whatever. Um, but I think that's my, that's my favorite thing about the the dinner party. And it's been like that since day one mm-hmm. is just it's a, I hate this expression, but it's a very safe place. <laughs> like, it's a safe place. And what Alex <laughs> kind of alluded to is you, uh, you go in as strangers and instantly mm-hmm. your your walls are kind of knocked down because you you quickly realize that everyone is nothing to hide. Yeah. It's kind of like the worst has happened to you. Yeah. And, and, and you, so what? And, and, and we all know why we're there and we just kind of dive in and, and there's not like a, it didn't take long. I was like, they do provide you, the dinner party does provide you with a little bit of like a hosting guidebook and it's just like how to dive in the conversation. But for me, I didn't have to even really dive in because it, the conversation just started flowing. I think so much of us felt like we were a rubber band and we were just pulled all the way back and mm-hmm. then finally launched because mm-hmm. we finally got to, 
to communicate the nuances, the day-to-day surprises that come with grief and come with losing a parent Mm -hmm. before you have a significant other spouse kids before your your family unit is is formed that is your your closest definition of a family sure and so you're and your support and your support exactly and you're trying to then survive with one leg of the table missing or or, Mm -hmm. or something missing and it's kind of like the day-to-day process of not having that extra extra element of support and so is that is that the um the situation of most of the people in the group that you've met so far that they've lost a parent most there are definitely some who have lost siblings Mm -hmm. um and so and then there are people who have i I think the majority is parents Mm -hmm. um we do get siblings too and sometimes it's parents unexpectedly and sometimes it's cancer and Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it's apparent that 10 years ago, or sometimes we've had people, it's been like a month. Uh-huh. Um, there's So there's a, a wide variety. I think it's one of the hard things about it. Um, you're very good. <laughs> you're very good at this as a host. But like sometimes it's hard to, when you find someone who's sitting at that table who has a very similar story to you, mm-hmm. it's hard to not latch on to them and be like, tell me about your parents' treatment and what you did. And, oh, don't you hate it when, you know, this right. and that. And and sometimes I have to stop myself and remember, like, okay, we all have, everybody has different experiences here. So I think that, like, some of the best conversations are kind of just the generic, like you said, like, grief things, of the things that come up every day that you would never <laughs> think of. Like, whether it's something embarrassing or something weird or something sad or funny. Like, sometimes it's, oh, you wouldn't believe the dumbest thing this person said to me today. Like I was going to say, there's <laughs> so much humor in yeah. this. And people think on the mm-hmm. outside looking in that this is a very dark and morbid and there's violins playing and everyone's <laughs> passing tissue boxes and, and, and the tissue box passing does happen. But there's also yeah. a lot of humor and a lot of laughter exchange because we can finally relate to being a fish out of water in the circumstance of losing a parent or sibling or somebody very close to us at a young age and, and, and kind of, we while we're still trying to figure ourselves up and, and our identity and, 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 and man, my, my half my identity just went out the window of who was helping me form that. And so it's conversations of, um, things that will arise with grief that are common threads of, well, I tried to be normal, quote unquote. I tried to go to a Dodgers game. I tried to go to a baseball game. I tried to go to a concert and say yes to getting out of the house and say yes to picking up business as usual. And it didn't quite work out the way I wanted to. And <laughs> I had to leave or I had to excuse myself and how embarrassing and, and kind of um, the humor that goes along with just being human. Yeah, yeah. Sure, the commonality of, of experience in terms of not the the grief, but all of the difficulties or the mm-hmm. absurdities or mm-hmm. all of that that come up. What is it about having a, a peer group? So you are 20 and 30 year olds, uh, 30-something year olds in the group. What is it that is uh, special about having uh, that kind of age peer group? I think it's just a different not to put down anyone who lost a parent at the age of 70 or 60, but it's different. It just, it is. And I remember I had this really, not I don't know if naive is the right word. I had this really weird thought when my mom was really sick and I was just having, I mean, I was just 
I was miserable. And I, I remember thinking like, it hurt so bad that I was like, I remember thinking, I don't know how anyone younger than me has ever gone through this. Sure. And I don't know how anyone at all has ever gone through this. Like, I don't understand how I can go into the grocery store and see people who have gone through this and they're just getting groceries. Like that thought was so confusing to me. Mm. Like, how can you go on with a normal life? Mm-hmm. How is this ever not going to feel like this? Yeah. yeah. And how it's, it's an isolating feeling. It's a confusing feeling. It's, it's all of that. I'm 30. I was 28 when my mom died. There have certainly been people in our group who are much younger than that. And it's, I still think that when I see them, I'm like, how does anyone go through it a day younger than I was? Like, cause I felt like all of a sudden I was a child again. Mm-hmm. You feel like a little kid. Right. Yeah, I was going to say through through the community of a dinner party, or at least from the experience in the community that you form from sitting around a table and having these conversations, you um, you feel like not only as we touched upon that conversations can flow and you can kind of you know highlight the aches and pains and 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 also the funny nuances of trying to adjust and the adjustment period that happens, but. As Alex saying, you can kind of go through it together, realizing that you are allowed, you have permission to say, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I, this, this, again, this support, this leg of this table that I was nestling on is, is not there. It's a little rocky. It's a little bit different. And so you kind of have that permission. No one day is the same. Um, I think people, that was another thing that we realized too, is when you're sitting around with people who have lost, a, have experienced loss in such a profound way, you're like, I think the outside world's like, oh, it's been three months, it's been six months, this is your timeline, where are you at with this timeline, let's check in. And, and <laughs> there is no such thing, I hate to you know warn you, you can, 10 years ago, you can lose a dear loved one and you can still be processing it. And I think it was so interesting to see that there was no timetable, there was no um, definitive structure around grief and loss and we all will experience death death is not something that is foreign to anyone um it's just maybe this is a unique situation where we've had to experience it earlier than people normally do or you know of course everyone has different circumstances but i mean prior to losing my dad i'd maybe lost a couple goldfishes and a few parakeets but i had not experienced loss at all and I just was not something that was on my radar and that's a lot of times we talk about the table of two different dates the date that our parent or our loved one or whomever we love passed away and the date that we found out if let's say they had cancer Mm -hmm. because that is the date that we can point to and say that's where our lives Mm -hmm. changed and and where they're that's the worst date that's the worst date and that's Mm -hmm. where at first we're trying to get back to the day before that date and trying to grapple, like trying to grab onto how we were as humans, how we were thinking, how we were living and cohabitating on that date. Mm -hmm. Rewind 24 hours and I want back to to that version of myself. And you you realize that you're not going to get that back and that you're carrying with you a new person and a new experience that is not pre- whatever date on the calendar that you have. But I, I thought that was really interesting of, of 
the duality of the date that we've lost somebody as well as the date that we found out if, if, if again, they've gone through a terminal illness of when they were sick because that's kind of the date, the conversation, the jumping off point of, oh, wow, I didn't think I'd have to deal with this at my age. This is, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. I, what do you mean? I thought example of my dad my dad would be around forever and he'd see my grandchildren and and, or his grandchildren and and things like that so it's kind of like the first time you're really shook Mm -hmm. and your 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 world is kind of flipped upside down and then for for whatever duration of time from that date if and when you experience loss it's you're on a much different ride than you've kind of never anticipated signing up for Mm -hmm. right yeah Um, i was an assistant. I was it's so funny that you said that about the date. I was thinking about it this morning. Um, I was an assistant on the on a show at the time, and it was when I got the news. It was like three days before I was supposed to go on a three month hiatus. I was going to be maybe looking for a new job. I was going to go visit my parents. Like I had just all these plans, and we were on set, and it was, <laughs> it was P Diddy was there. He was like guest starring on our show, and I just I, oh, I just, every time I see his face, also I think of this. But I was sitting with friends and we were laughing and we were like taking pictures and I was I texted my dad who's like an eighty year old white man and I was like do you know do you remember Puff Daddy like do you know right. who this is? I'm looking at him right now <laughs> yeah you can use the name from the eighties yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the nineties I, I guess yeah. he's had so many different aliases you have to like see who they identify I was with and give him the best shot of remembering right. knowing who it was and he wrote back something stupid he was like oh yeah is he is he the guy who dated J Lo and I was like yeah dad. I was like good job dad and. It, I put my phone away and my friends and I were laughing about it and I picked my phone up and he said, can you step outside and call me? And it was mm-hmm. like, just over. It's just a, like a second. It's like, yeah. we'd give anything to go back to like joking about that. The, a, the moment before that. Yes, just the like one, moments When before. you were thinking, is it Puff Daddy or mm-hmm. P Diddy, which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was eating crafty and just hanging out. Everything was great, yeah. It's very, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Yeah. I expect you've each had conversations about your loss with people who haven't experienced a significant loss. How would you characterize those conversations? Mm, I think it's hard for me. Uh, it's hard for me to... I come from sort of like a very New Englandy, like waspy upbringing of like, you don't want to make someone uncomfortable mm. and you don't want to be impolite. And I struggle with like the idea of it's okay to be uncomfortable a little bit and to say something that might make someone else uncomfortable. So for me, it's a, it's, it's 99% of the time. It's always a good conversation. People really, people show their best side. Like people are step up to the plate and they're caring and they're compassionate almost all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, for that, I would say it was about a year before I started feeling normal and like myself again. And I'm sure I wasn't the easiest person to be friends with if you had never experienced it it's sometimes it's a lose-lose it's like they ask you something and you don't want to talk about it and then they don't ask you about it and you're like why aren't you asking me about it <laughs> right it's a cycle <laughs> why, are you, why aren't you reading my mind <laughs> what's wrong with it I think I'm making it pretty clear by my face what yeah. I want you to do you're just gonna do it wrong whatever yeah so I would say I would characterize those conversations as lose-lose um but still but you know but good and and when you when you do get the opportunity to express something to someone a a really close friend even if they have no idea what you're talking about they're gonna know they're gonna know how to make you feel comfortable and and like just listen that's all they need to do 
Yeah. Listen. Yeah. I think that's what people don't know is that like, you don't listening have to have the right is words. actually the, the thing they, that you want, right? Yeah, I want to like, I want to talk about my mom. I want to tell everybody how great she was. Right. It's hard for me to bring it up because I don't want to be pushy or embarrassed or whatever. But yeah, I'm always going to want to talk about her. So it's, yeah, it's like navigating that is tricky. Yeah. I think for my case, I was somebody that didn't even like the fact that social media would tell people that it was my birthday. <laughs> I did not like to feel vulnerable. I did not like any kind of attention on me. Um, and so this kind of threw me in for a loop because people knew or if they didn't know or if you had to communicate to your boss, you know, where, where, where'd he go? Where, what's happening? And I think my line of work I'm constantly involved with very, very competitive, you know, especially in the startup world, you are just killing yourself to get your idea off the ground. And how dare you show weakness and how dare you show vulnerability? You are a warrior in the trenches trying to make something out of nothing and and, and get funding and, and see your idea blossom. And so it's kind of your whole world. Yeah. So how dare you have any kind of uh, flaws? And I think one of my passions is through this experience is realizing that as men, young adults, we are just we're so tuned into being so competitive and that, uh, you know, hardwired to believe that we shouldn't show vulnerability. And there's a huge gap with um, of men seeking out support and therapy, regardless of what they're going through and talking about their feelings and all that stuff that we're just told to avoid and yeah. to be to be boys, to be men. It creates a lot of things down the down the road if you don't deal with, and that's why when when a lot of men become middle aged, they haven't got a lot of things off their chest, and that's why I think suicide rates are double what they are um, for men in their middle age because there's so much that they've held onto in terms of their cards close to their chest. Mm. So I, I noticed that in this hyper competitive of world that I was working on, where I was, you know serving as a COO for companies, creating, you know, creating these structures from the ground up, there really wasn't a conversation space open to say, I need to take a beat. Mm -hmm. I need to talk to somebody. I need to go take some personal time because that was, it was weakness. And yep. um, there was no way to interject that kind of dialogue in that setting and especially as a guy so you kind of got I got forced into talking about it because I hit a point where I was like I have to slow down and I have to communicate this and so I I also think at the same time that's where the humor comes into play because a lot of times you're in new settings especially work settings as young adults you know you transfer jobs or you you are bouncing around from consulting gigs and so people ask you the generic questions of, uh, where's your mom and dad? Where do they live? Where, where are you from? And you drop <laughs> a bomb in the room and you're kind of used to the crickets. Yeah. And you're kind of used to a couple pauses, a couple beats after you tell everyone in the room that you just lost a parent or that's where you were last summer, however it comes up. And you're used to the look. I think, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just that look on someone's face of, okay, 
well, how do I handle what they just told me? Do right. I acknowledge it? Do I say I'm so sorry? And so a lot of us at the dinner party, we were so used to hearing, I'm so sorry, and then awkwardness. Right. So That's the end of the conversation. That's the end of the conversation, and they never want to look you in the eye again when you're around the water court, or whatever the case be. So we kind of got tired of being like these snow leopards in our little worlds, in our little ecosystems of this rarity, because death is so, death happens to everyone, but it was just kind of a weird juxtaposition of being younger adults starting out our lives and then being affected by death, whether it was in our friend group or our industry or our on our office space and being the person that's pegged as, oh, that person over there, they've they've gone through something and, mm-hmm. and they've lost, they just lost. Be careful around them. Yeah, you don't want that. And it's the eggshells that oh. you just absolutely hate because I think as Alex said, it, there's no right way around it. I mean, there's... You do want to talk about it, you don't. There's no right time, there's no wrong time. But I think through the experience, we've just kind of learned to be open books and realize that we're all human. We all have different experiences with with loss. And it's okay if you haven't. And it's okay if you are completely new to it because we think we all started this journey being completely new to it. So I, I, even to this day, as Alex mentioned herself, when I find out People that I know who've lost their parent, people kind of look to me like, "Ooh, are you are you gonna say anything? Are you mm-hmm. gonna go talk to me?" And I'm like, oh. I don't know the words. I'm not like a, yeah, I'm, I'm not a <laughs> ambassador of loss. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I um, am part of a safe container for conversations to happen about loss, but I I have no way will take credit for for wearing a badge in my sleeve that says that I know how to to. To deal with it because yeah. I know that it's so multifaceted and so complex that there's no way that I can say the right things, do the right things, or any of the above. I kind of just, you know, it's just so funny how you get pegged as the ambassador now of yes. loss in your whatever world. I've recently, if I could offer any advice to somebody who's never been through it and talking to someone, the only thing I have noticed recently is I think it's really nice when people just ask a couple questions. Like, you know, sometimes people are just, oh God, I'm sorry. And then, no, what's for dinner? You know, just like really change. But sometimes when someone just asks like, oh wow, that's really tough. How old were you? How old was your mom? How, you know, things like that. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, it might also be very different for someone else. But in my personal experience, I think it's like, um, I don't, I was, a couple months ago, I was with a friend, and she said something like, "Oh, what do you think your mom would have thought about that?" Or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "It's just, I don't know. It's just nice. It was sweet, right?" Because she's kind of stays part of the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Than just being like, "Okay, that's that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think people want to say something to make it better, mm-hmm. and there isn't really anything that you can say to yeah. make it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can just be there and be as normal as possible, and. Right. And, and and also pick up on the cues of what the person that you're talking to, because some people might not want you to, they might not want you to say anything that you can, you can maybe tell. Right, right. Yeah, the good and the bad and the ugly is what we like to talk about. And I guess one of the touch points of an ugly situation is you lose friends. Friends, people don't know how to deal with you. And it's very weird. You, you, you wear this badge or a scarlet letter of somebody who's gone through this loss. Mm. And even people who have intimately known you, known whoever you've lost, have kind of been in your inner circle. They just kind of don't know how to, like we touched upon, hang out with that same person before all this. They don't know how to hang out with this person now. Mm. 
and and be the same. And the, so the, some, new, the new person that you've become. the new person that you become uh, through through loss, yeah. and they kind of don't know how to rewind the tape and 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 pick it up where where this all kind of kicked off. So I think that's interesting too, and that's something that we've all kind of experienced. Is you you anticipate certain people being there are showing up in a way and then when they don't you don't quite know what to do with that because obviously you don't want to force anyone into your path or into your life and so a lot of conversations we've had around the table have been around wow I I thought that this person it's like you're losing multiple people it's like you're losing whoever you've lost in in your in your life and then losing friendships or relationships because of it because some depending on what's a person jumping in point they just kind of don't want to deal or it reminds them of the relationship that they have in their family and it's just too close to home and so it is we would be crazy to say that it's not an isolating experience because it is you you do lose certain relationships but i think that's the beauty of this um, container that is a dinner party because you then get to be connected with people that understand that and right. that have experienced the same thing you have so you you don't feel like you're uh, you're so isolated and kind of rowing the boat by yourself mm-hmm. so roger you talked about how there's a real imbalance of uh, men and women mm-hmm. or males and females who come to the dinner party could you just talk about that a little bit I think we're trying to crack the age-old question of how do we get guys to open up about their feelings? (laughs) And we've gone with different iterations, and by we, I mean um, myself, who's very passionate about it, and organizers of dinner party of like, do we need to take this conversation out to the surf, uh, on the ocean and go surf about it? Should we have like uh, CrossFit for for grievers? How do we get guys to show up and and to, to feel safe? And I think there is no right or wrong way. But I, we all realize that there is a huge gap in that kind of conversation to be had. And that in 2017, I think we're just trying to figure out, at least in the corporate environment, of how we handle policy around people having babies and, and maternity leave. And we're still That's trying right. to crack that code. And now it's about how do we deal with people who've just lost somebody significant to them? What kind of space do they need? And um, a lot of times in these uber competitive environments, how do we give people space to communicate what they've gone through when they are so trained right out the gate from business school or wherever of hiding any kind of weakness Mm. or even as boys grow up and to be men, you're just so trained to hide all that. And, and, And so you kind of get thrown back into what do I share and, and, and what do I don't? And that could be on different outlets, your social media, your, your conversations you're having. It's so foreign to you because you're not used to talking about feelings. And then people, and of course I'm talking stereotypes here, but I, you would just really be surprised about the apprehension around talking about being vulnerable and having tough conversations. It's just something that's not wired in our DNA as a culture, as, as, as guys, as men. And, and it's a huge thing lacking of how to touch upon these things. And so 
I think it takes a situation like losing somebody to really force you to say, I don't want to hold on to this. I don't want to pretend, conjure up strength and, and, and be this person on all four cylinders when a lot of times I'm not. Right. And so I continues to be my passion of trying to crack that code of trying to, to say, how can we balance the ratio of guys to girls showing up because we all are, it's crazy thing is we're all impacted by loss and, and you know, it doesn't impact more females to males. It's just, we handle it a little bit differently and yeah. um, it's trying to bridge that gap of, uh, of making it all inclusive and making sure that everyone feels like they can be part of the conversation and however which way we do that is kind of to be seen but it's kind of an ongoing focus yeah it's part of a a larger cultural issue (laughs) yeah so (laughs) yeah I noticed that uh, the dinner party has kind of a motto of uh, thriving not just surviving and I wanted to find out what it means to each of you I don't you know I don't really know, but in the context of the dinner party, I think it speaks a lot to like what Roger was saying earlier of the tone of our dinners. And yes, there are times when it's emotional, for sure. But we're not just showing up and like wearing all black and like crying. <laughs> like there's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of there's a lot of like talking about the people we we used to be and the people we want to be and the people we are now and I think like I think that's that's what I think of when I hear that motto of mm-hmm. just like there's even some people from the dinner party who I've socialized with now outside of that and it's sure. like oh we are only meeting every two months let's let's get a drink next week like I, I'd like to continue this conversation and I don't know I think that's a I think that's for me a big part of the motto is like trying to navigate whatever it is we're all navigating and still keeping your life as an intact as possible and keeping keeping your personality and keeping your sense of humor and, and things like that. Right, right. What about for you, Roger? I think Alex kind of na- nailed it on the head. I just think that it's not about simply surviving. It's not a, like, it's not like it, a huge bomb has gone off and, and now we kind of have to pick up the rubble. It's about kind of like saying to ourselves we're okay mm-hmm. we're okay in this and um we give ourselves permission to to get back to whatever it is that we were chasing in our life and our goals and our dreams and ambition and kind of like before our life kind of went to its standstill it's a container to say hey what about that idea that you were talking about before you've experienced loss what about who you were before that your humor your wit whatever you carry with you in your toolbox what Stop Stop hiding that or mm. give yourself permission to share that because so that's bring, important. Bring parts of that old person mm-hmm. back into the new person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to wrap up with asking you each about how you seek to add joy into your lives. Yeah. We'll, we'll, add on, we'll end on joy. How's that? <laughs> We've talked a lot about that. <laughs> I'll let you go first. <laughs> okay. Joy is appreciation of everything that life throws at us and joy is having an understanding and 
that nothing is perfect, nothing is finite. I think when you have such a close, intimate experience with death and loss, you kind of realize you you get more permission than you give yourself credit for to to be who you are, to do the things you want to do, and to take the chances because it seems like time is a lot more apparent to you. Mm-hmm. And time, and it means of like you only have certain many hours of a day. Like, what are you? It kind of through loss, loss. I, I guess you would say a positive takeaway um, is that you become much more aware of your time and, and the limitations that you have and, and this scarcity or the briefness that you are here on this planet. And you, you just kind of get like a another wave of, of ambition and stuff of like, you know, I'm going to go pursue that idea or I'm going to go step out and I'm going to go travel or I'm going to do whatever it is on my plate because I know from this experience that life, you know, has a beginning and has an end. And so joy is kind of diving in and giving yourself permission to, to go out and to explore whatever it is that you've kind of felt you've been kind of putting off on the shelf of like, I'll get to that eventually. There is no more getting to that. You realize that (laughs) the fragileness that life contains and, and you're like, there's no more rainy days for me. There's no more like, I'll put that off for a rainy day. There is the here and the now, and there's just, uh, and that's where the joy comes of of saying, I'm just going to do this. Let's just do it right now. And you kind of get launched, and, and through that launch, you um, get pushed into doing the things that uh, that make you happy so and you that you're a, passionate about. You get about. a bit of clarity, and like, the time is now. The time is now. You get a lot of clarity. You get a lot of zen. You get a lot of insight that just tells you now or never. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, a lot of it, it's time related to it, but it's kind of under the lens of like, I don't want to waste a lot of time. Like, I don't want to, you know, I kind of felt after my mom died, I spent a year, I mean, definitely socializing and still seeing my friends and living my life. But there were a lot of things I didn't do because I felt like this different person that we were talking about. And maybe I wasn't always... (laughs) at my best when I was out with my friends like maybe sometimes I was a mope or whatever and I stopped dating for a year like all these things and now I just feel like I don't want to waste time doing things that I don't want to do I don't want to go to dinner with this person because I have to network with them for work like I just don't want to do that I don't want to do that anymore so I'm not going to do it like there are things (laughs) you you have clarity too I want to I want to try I'm not doing that yeah exactly like I I lived with roommates one of my best friends for years and years and then I I just after that, I was like, you know, I've really always wanted to live alone. And I moved to a part of town that I'd always wanted to live in. And I dyed my hair blonde. And I just, <laughs> just doing things that's like, I don't want to waste any more time. And I don't want to waste time with things I don't care about. And I want to find time to try new things. And yeah. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Thank you both so much for Thank coming you. in and, and chatting with me today. It's really a Thank pleasure to meet both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thank you, Roger and Alex, for speaking with me about your experiences with the dinner party and how finding this community has helped you create nourishing new social experiences after your profound losses. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Real with Diane McDaniel on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Please let us know why you listened, and what you like about The Real Podcast. Please rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. 
follow Real on Twitter at RealThePodcast and reach us at RealThePodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. Thanks for listening.